I want to start this evening by asking you a question. What are your God-given responsibilities? What are your God-given responsibilities? If you're not sure how to answer that at all, it's quite a big question. And one that I really encourage you to perhaps chat through with Christian friends this week. But what are your God-given responsibilities at this moment in time right now? How do you feel even about that word responsibility that I've just used? Does it get the adrenaline going, yeah, like I'm responsible for this, it's empowering? Or does it kind of feel like uh, like crushing weight on you? Like I've got to be responsible. What's your reaction? Perhaps it depends a little bit on the type of responsibility as to how you feel about it. Perhaps if it's going to visit that old relative who's going to slobber kisses all over your faces, you perhaps feel less keen. But if it's taking a new role that you really like and desire, perhaps that's more appealing. Well, this evening we're in this beautiful story. It's a rags to riches story. And we've reached the nail-biting, juicy part of um, the story. I'm not going to spend a shed load of time recapping. We've been in Ruth, and so um, if you haven't been with us, do listen to some of the the podcasts online. There's been some excellent uh, talks. But we're going to have a look today at Naomi, Boaz, and Ruth. And we're going to see how they act on their responsibilities in this chapter. And as they do so we're going to discover that as they act on their responsibilities, they provide a way for redemption and rest to come, which is a beautiful thing. So they act on their responsibilities. They provide a way in which redemption and rest can easily come. So we're going to be reflecting on three R's, responsibility, redemption, and rest. Now, at the end of um, chapter two, we find um, Naomi has begun a journey out of despair. God's been really great in looking after her providentially, and Ruth, her uh, daughter-in-law, has been super kind to her. And a man called Boaz has come into their life, and he is a potential kinsman redeemer, and we'll look a bit more at that a little bit later on. But what we discover in Naomi taking up her responsibilities in this chapter is that back at that time, it was the parent's responsibility to go and propose, to go and get a partner for their child. And as the clouds of despair begin to lift on Naomi, um, she sort of returns to her old self. This woman who said, right, we're going to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem, comes back alive in this chapter. Right, Ruth, we're going to go and get you a husband. As the clouds of despair lift from her, she comes back to life. And she steps up in responsibility. And as she does so, she seems quite energized and hopeful. Life that has been quite bitter for her is now becoming joyous. There's a prospect of a marriage. She'd prayed that Ruth would find a marriage partner back in chapter one. And now, here in chapter three, there's a chance that her prayer is going to be answered. She steps up into parental responsibility. We also see Boaz, our hero, um, stepping up in his responsibility in this passage. Now, at this point in history, God's people are caught up in a culture where a family name, family land, and family property were only passed down through male children. 
Later, this changes. Some of God's people challenge that and the laws sort of change. But in order for Naomi and Ruth to kind of survive, for their family name, for their honor to be kept intact, they need a son somehow. And what happens in this situation when people have been widowed back in that culture in that time is that another close relative could step in and kind of marry the widow, have a child with that widow, and that child would, in a sense, not be his but the dead husband's. It's a bit weird for us to get our heads around in this time and in this day, but that's how it was in the culture. And Boaz, they've discovered this guy who Ruth's been working in his field. He could be that kingsman redeemer. He could act in that way for them because he is a relative. Now, we discovered a little bit about Boaz last week. We discovered that Boaz was, in fact, quite a godly businessman. He could uh, look over his field in chapter 2 and spot that there was a new worker in the midst of the workers in the field. He knew his workers well enough that he could spot something new was happening, somebody different was there. We saw his foreman was able to approach him in conversation with real expectancy that his boss was going to respond to him with kindness. And we see above all else that he's not so concerned purely with getting wealth for himself, that he's going to forget God's laws. Instead, we find a man who chooses to look after the foreigner, who looks after the widow and is prepared to spare food for them, to assist them, to follow God's laws above just getting money for himself. But there's a thing that's been uh, bothering us. If you were here last week, you'll find that it's a little bit bothering as to this great godly businessman, Boaz. Why on earth has he not yet taken up the responsibility of being this kinsman redeemer? What's wrong with him? Why has he been so slow to, to act here? And we get a couple of pieces of information in our passage today that begin to perhaps give a little hint as to why Boaz may have been a little bit slow to take up his responsibility as a kingsman redeemer. And if you have a look at me, uh, with me down at verses 10 and 11, you'll find that when Boaz talks to Ruth, he kind of says something along these lines. Basically says, wow, you're pretty amazing that you're showing such kindness to God and God's people that you want me to marry you. Wow. You're actually quite a catch. The whole town's been talking about um, how noble your character is. Wow, you, you really want to marry me? You could have gone after the younger men. Wow. Just maybe Boaz didn't want to assume that he could just have Ruth. Perhaps he didn't want to just have her. He wanted her, perhaps, to like him, to want him. And there's something about a lovely character in Boaz there that might be coming out. The second little bit of information we get as to why Boaz may have not acted um, straight away in stepping up in being a kingsman redeemer is in verse 12, where he says, well, actually, there's somebody else who could take on this role there's actually a closer relative who could 
and perhaps should be your kinsman redeemer. And here we see something lovely in Boaz as well, because he's not prepared to trample over another to get to Ruth. He's going to go and talk to this other man and sort this out amicably. He's going to do it the right way. And it's a beautiful thing. It's quite clever, though, Boaz, in um, the end of our chapter, as he talks to Ruth. Um, He says to Ruth, let me make sure that nobody kind of knows that you've been here. We don't want kind of um, it to spark any inappropriate gossip. Let's wait until this matter's been sorted out because, you know, people are going to talk. If they know you're here, um, perhaps they're going to think that we've, we've done it. Um, <laughs> you know, we haven't. We're not going to do that yet. Um, and, I, and I don't want there to be gossip. I don't want the other kinsman redeemer almost to kind of suspect or to think that you are defiled in some way. I actually want your security in this situation. So what about Ruth? Naomi and Boaz are stepping up into their responsibilities. Ruth is too, as she continues to walk as this incredible, courageous, God-fearing woman. She's so devoted to Naomi and her God that she wants to do what's right before God. And so she follows her mother-in-law's instructions. She bravely goes in the night. She hides in the shadows, as her mother-in-law has told her to. And she watches to see after Boaz has fed and drunk. Where does he lie down? Because they didn't have bright like torches like we do today in the middle of the night. And then she needed to be sure that she was going to go and lie down next to the right man, not, not get the wrong man. That, that would have been bad um, for her. So she needs to make sure. So she watches carefully, quietly from the shadows. And then she goes and she lifts up his covers and she lays at his feet. Now on first reading, that totally sounds like she's just kind of, she's hot for him, she's going after him. Um, (laughs) She's just sexually kind of putting herself out there. Um, it, It kind of sounds really dodgy to our ears, the whole story. It just sounds a bit kind of weird. It seems kind of reckless that these two women would um, choose to kind of approach Boaz in such a kind of dangerous way. What on earth is going on in this passage? Well, actually, these two women might not be quite as reckless as we might think. Um, They're quite clever. You know, they've actually been doing their research on Boaz. They've been observing him now for a few weeks. They've watched the way he's a godly businessman. They've seen how he acts towards them. They know that he has not molested Ruth in the field when he could have done. They know something of this man's character. And so, yes, they risk, but they have done their research. And I think that they're pretty confident that he's going to act in a gentlemanly fashion. So what is she doing by uncovering his feet? Is it kind of like a a sexual thing? Is it kind of like, yeah, come on. Um, You know, like if I found a guy in my bed at my feet in the middle of the night, that's, you know, I think that's what it was about. Um, But no, in their culture, that wasn't it. In their culture, to lie at someone's feet was something servants did to masters. You see, um, the feet is a place, a sign of where you show respect to someone. You know in cultures where they'll come and they'll touch your feet, students will touch teachers' feet. 
often feet will get kissed in various cultures. Sorry, Joe. Um, I wasn't being sexy. I was just being humble towards you. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Ruth is coming to Boaz in a way of humility. You see, actually at this point, she had a right to ask him to marry her, to expect him to marry her. But Naomi wisely counsels Ruth not to come to him as a victim demanding rights, but as a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of her kinsman redeemer. And that's pretty amazing to go and act in that humble kind of way. She doesn't want to demand a marriage of him. She wants to say, look, I'm here, this could happen. But I'm not going to demand it as a right. She's saying, I respect you, I trust you, and I am going to put my fate in your hands. So we discover here a rather tasteful and quite dynamic marriage proposal that Naomi and Ruth make of Boaz. We often think of the Bible as being quite old-fashioned or a bit fuddy-duddy, but here we find a woman making the proposal. Yeah? They're very forward-thinking. And it's well-planned and well-executed. I don't know about you, but I don't hear of many proposals that are that well-planned and (laughs) well-executed. Poor Richard, when he um, proposed to me, he tried to to do it on a country walk, and we uh, sat down on a wall, and uh, he thought he'd found this really lovely, uh, peaceful spot, and just as he was about to to propose, this massive crew of dog waters came past with their really noisy, barking dogs, and then he thought, oh, the moment's come again, and then like a whole running group came through, and then he was finally just about to do it, and all these army cadets scaled down the hills that were surrounding us um yeah anyway and it was awkward anyway getting a proposal right is difficult but they've done it they've taken up their different areas of responsibility Naomi Boaz and Ruth and what happens here is God smiles He smiles at people acting responsibly towards one another. And redemption begins to flow. You see, this story is about how God is at work in the lives of a very little family that went far away from his care and from their own people in Bethlehem to a place called Moab. They faced enormous suffering and no doubt felt very far from God. And yet God all the time watches over them and begins to bless them. And actually through them ends up blessing them more than they could ever imagine. You know, spoiler alert, Ruth and Boaz get together. They get married and they have a kid. And they end up being the great, 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 lots of greats, grandparents to Jesus. You see, whereas the rest of Israel is saying, I'm going to be our own God. You just have to read the book of Judges to see how far away from God's ways they were. Um, They go out of their way to show faithfulness to God. 
You know, Boaz doesn't molest Ruth. He treats her as a foreigner with great respect. She stays with her mother-in-law in a time of great need. And as they act responsibly in community towards one another, it puts a smile on God's face. And God's like, yes, they're my people. I can use them. I can work through them. They've got it. I delight in them. And he redeems their situation. Of course, it's Boaz who gets described as being a little like Jesus, a little foretaste of Jesus. He's not Jesus, and there's many ways in which he's not. But, but there's something in the act he does that begins to, as Christians today, make us think about how Jesus redeems us. Because he comes and rescues them and brings them into a place of joy, a place of prosperity, a place of protection, a place of peace, a place of pure relationship. All these lovely things come. Anyone here a Poldark fan? Yeah, it's, it's just the middle-aged women. I'm so sorry, Karen, it's me and you. <laughs> hey! <laughs> and a secret admirer at the back. Okay, so I tried this this morning, and like there was a lot more middle-aged people in the room. <laughs> so, Paul Dark is actually it's a really like, massive series on the BBC, isn't it? It's like massive series. And, um, and the hero in it has basically been described as like British best bachelor. You know, anyway, big news. Um, so in this series, this guy is, um, is it's the hero, and he rescues uh, a much younger girl um, from a terrible situation. And he rescues her back to his house. And um, he, she ends up being his kind of kitchen maid. Uh, but eventually they do, they, they fall for each other, they fall in love. And it always feels a bit like an unequal relationship, you know, like she's always so indebted to him that he rescued her. And yet in the story, at one point, he turns around and he says, you redeemed me. You gave me hope and I love you. And it's a little beautiful bit in the drama. Um, But I just wonder if something in Boaz in this chapter is also redeemed as hope in him is restored as to what good godly behavior should be like, as he looks at Ruth and he marvels at her kindness to her mother-in-law, as he marvels at her faith in God and that she's going to put that first. I wonder if hope in Boaz too is somewhat redeemed. Of course, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, there's in no way can we redeem Jesus. Um, We can't redeem God. He's absolutely perfect. He only can redeem us. But you know what we can do? We can delight Jesus. We can delight him, giving him a little bit of obedience, and he pours out huge grace upon us. So these guys have been hugely um, responsible. Redemption flows through them and through their family and through history because of them. The final R is rest. God's made us for work. Um, He delights us with rest. Rest is a beautiful thing. It's what we long for so often, isn't it? 
just very quickly as we look at this passage, and you can only really see it as you read it in the Hebrew, which I haven't done, but I'm assured by commentators is true. In verse 1 in the Hebrew, when um, Naomi says to Ruth, I'm going to basically want you to be provided for. I want you to find a place of happiness. I want you to be well. She uses a Hebrew word for rest. I want you to be rested. And the chapter ends with the same word of rest, where Naomi says again, Boaz will not rest until he's sorted this out. Your Redeemer will not rest until he's got you safe. And he wants to bring you to a place of rest. This whole passage is bookmarked with rest. And so whereas we think of being responsible, perhaps sometimes as being hard work and quite difficult, does it help a little bit? to think that when we take up our God-given responsibility, do you know what's going to flow? Not exhaustion. What's going to flow is redemption and rest. God doesn't call us to overwork. God doesn't call us to do everything. God doesn't call us to get burnt out. God doesn't call us to go beyond where he wants us to go. But he does give each of us God-given responsibilities in different seasons of life. And he is longing for us to obey him in them. And as we do, redemption and rest will flow. And so do you know... Do you know what your God-given responsibilities are? If you need to know where to start on that, come and see me at the end of the service, because I'm going to finish. But um, there was a lovely little story going around Facebook, an article about... um, a community that Justin Welby sort of started in um, the Archbishop's Palace, basically kind of like a group of 20s that basically come and act like monks for like a year or two years. And, um, And they have to kind of follow these rules to be in community. And one of the rules is not to form exclusive relationships while they're there. And that's really hard and it's quite challenging and they were talking about that. But they were talking about how much it's increased in a way their sense of responsibility for community. We live in such an individualistic culture that so often we forget to invite people in, that we forget how our actions actually affect loads of people. And God's given us a responsibility to act in such a way that we're the one who's enjoying friendship but can notice someone else who's not and say, come on in. who can get alongside the ugly, the weak, the poor, the forgotten. And by bringing Jesus, bring beauty to them. What are your God-given responsibilities? It's not everything. (laughs) God's not looking for burnt-out disciples. But what are they? And can you rejoice in faith that as you act on them, Redemption and rest will flow. Let's pray.
Oh, God, thank you for this incredible story. There's so much in it. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would massively um, speak to us. God, that you give us a hunger for your word, that we'd wrestle with it, that we'd um, learn from it, that we'd grow in our likeness to you as we absorb it into our hearts and our minds now. And God, as Ruth came and she took wing and covering under your wings and receive so much where tonight we might need to come and just sort of say, Lord, I need you. I need to seek refuge with you. Would you refresh me tonight? Where we know there might be a challenge to lay down our agendas, our to-do list, our thinking to come to you afresh and say, hang on, God, what do you want of me at the moment? What's my responsibility for you right now? Holy Spirit, would you come? Because we really want to delight you. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to delight you. Amen. Thank you, Nicola. So much in there. And um, we're going to spend some time responding to that message and the band will help us with that by leading us in a few more songs. But I just wanted to pull up two kind of threads from what Nicola said and they link to two prophetic words we got as we were praying for this service. And um, one sense was just servanthood, a picture of someone kneeling down and just offering themselves as a servant to God. And another picture or an idea was someone getting excited again about something that God had put on their heart. And so I just wonder where you are in those two camps, especially linking to what Nicola's just preached about there being such um, responsibility that can weave through redemption and lead us to rest. What's, what's on your heart at the moment that's exciting you, that you feel from God and you want to just offer up to him? Or where do you feel like you're holding too much and you just need to surrender and kneel down and let, let yourself receive some rest in God's love? So as the band come up to lead us in some songs, um, I just wondered if you were able, and this felt like the correct response for you, to just to kneel down and just sit with wherever you feel you are today, whether you want to lay something at God's feet whether you want to wrestle with what he's asking you to be responsible for, or whether you just simply want to remember that you were first and foremost a servant, able and only breathing because of his, his glorious love for you and plan for you wherever you are right now. So as the band lead us in a song, feel free to stand and worship, feel free to kneel, and I'll come back in a few minutes and close the service but let's just give God where we are right now